Good everybody. I'd like to take a moment to thank Dick and Linda Snook for coming out and sharing that with us. That's just a wonderful thing. I mean, who would have imagined that our tithes and offerings that we use to support missionaries would would accomplish something like giving um, a safe space away from the bugs or just being able to get a generator to missionaries um, uh, who are serving and spreading the gospel or just allowing a, a teen youth group to get down to the Bahamas and just share the light and the life of Jesus to a hurting world. I'm, I'm just floored that we're able to participate with you in that. So if you have any questions for Dick or Linda, be sure to see him out in the foyer after service. And you can also go to our website to uh, and click on missions, and you can find out how to directly contact them, support them, and all the other missionaries that we support here at Faith. So uh, my name is Pastor Tom. I, I have the, uh, the sermon today. Surprise! <laughs> So um, I'm going to talk about a build, a building project, and this is the only build, the only project that's going to last into eternity. But I'd like to share a quick story about a building project I did that did not last into eternity. I don't think it made it today. Um, when Debbie and I, when we were first married, you know, funds were a little bit tight. We had, we'd bought a house. We had a couple of kids. And as many of you can relate to, there wasn't a whole lot of money to go around and even though Debbie and the kids had never been demanding, they never had the top of the line anything, nothing like that, I was still trying to stretch our bank account. And one of the ways I tried to do that was to do home improvement projects myself around the house. Now, these were the days before YouTube instructional videos. So you can imagine a novice like me trying and failing repetitively at all kinds of stuff around the house. Now, we needed something to put our VCR on. And I took it upon myself to build an entertainment center. So I went to Home Depot. I was browsing the materials, looking at all the bins. And I'm like, geez, this stuff's expensive. And well, pass on that, pass on that. I ended up in the back corner of the store, and I found this big industrial-sized trash can that had rejected pieces of clapboard sold at a discount price. Now, if you're not familiar with clapboard, that's the stuff that goes on the side of your house. It's wooden siding. It's not ideal for an entertainment center, or for anything else other than actually siding your house, but the price is right. So I grabbed an armload of it, brought it home, slapped something together, and voila, entertainment center. Perfect. Well, it wasn't. <laughs> I think a cat brushed against it and knocked the thing over and collapsed. So now if you fast forward a few years, um, imagine Debbie's expression when I said, I'm going to put a deck on the house. I got this, babe. But she showed me way more trust than I had earned or deserved, and she let me go ahead with it. And that came out great. It's still standing 10 years later. Now, the difference between the two projects is in the quality of the materials that I used. That, in fact, my father-in-law helped me, but let's just say it was mostly the building materials. Um, so now today in our text, we're going to talk, like I said, about a building project, the only project that's going to last beyond our world and into eternity. That building, of course, is Christ's church here on earth. Now, in the book of 1 Peter, Peter talks about living stones. And as believers, we are those living stones being built up as the church. The spiritual house that's, that Peter is talking about is all of us. We're gathered, we're interconnected, and God uses the spiritual gifts he's given each of us to be built up as a representation of his body here on earth. But before we talk about the church as a whole, let's talk about us as individuals. So we need to consider the building materials of our own spiritual houses. What's a house built on? It's built on a foundation. 
And in Matthew 7, 24, Jesus tells us about two men who built houses. Of course, one man built this house on sand, and the other, he built this house on a rock. Now, from the outside at first, both houses probably looked okay. They probably looked sturdy. But the real quality of the house was shown when the storm came. So let's read that verse together from Matthew 7. It says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So you can see the key to having a spiritual, sturdy house that can withstand the judgment of the storm is in verse 24. It says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. So notice that Jesus does not only say whoever hears my words, but they also have to be obeyed. So that obedience to Jesus and his word is what causes the foundation of the house to remain secure. Obedience to Jesus is the key to a stable life. Now, this past week, I was just having a conversation with a couple of elders here at Faith, and we're talking about really the best way to help somebody who has made a mess of their life. Now, I'm talking about somebody who is dealing with the collapse of their life due to bad choices that they had made, and now they need some help. Maybe they're by the side of the road asking for money. Uh, So what do we do? I mean, we can give them a few bucks and say Jesus loves you and God provides. Now, that's true. Of course, we know that God really does provide But honestly, that can kind of go down sideways for somebody living out of a cardboard box. Now, Jesus is the answer God provides, but sometimes the channel that God provides his blessing and his provision through is obedience to his word. And that's that's something that goes beyond the need. That's something that goes beyond handout because the need of this person is much deeper than just the immediate need. The need is the symptom. The root problem is disobedience. Now, Tim Valentine, when he preached last week, he reminded us that disobedience leads to suffering, of course. And conversely, obedience to God, it leads to blessing. Now, that's not a prosperity gospel message. That's just the way God has ordained life. If you obey him, generally, you're going to walk in blessing. doesn't mean everything's going to come up roses all the time and everything's going to be, you know, sunshiny and rainbows. But that is a, a fact. That's something that God has hardwired into his creation. So we can't shy away from saying that to those who are in need of help. We can't ignore that principle in our own life either. So now just by way of recap from last week, Tim told us about the ground rules for life that the Israelites were um, about to engage in when they entered into the promised land. So Tim shared with us that God had Moses walk the Israelites through 12 different behaviors that were going to bring curses in Deuteronomy chapter 27. So there's too many curses to lift right, list right now, but 2866, I think that gives a real good summation. It says, you will live in constant suspense, filled with dread, both day and night, never sure of your life. In the morning, you're going to say, if only it were evening, and in the evening, if only it were morning, because of the terror that will fill your hearts at the sights your eyes will see. Now, some of you can relate to living and feeling that kind of dread. I have too in the past. 
you know, that loathing of life, just trying to distract yourself to get through the misery of the day, only to suffer through the night? The question I'd like to pose is, have you ever considered feeling like that? Is it a result of living in disobedience, living outside of God's precepts for life, you know, not following the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses? Now, not perfectly, of course. Nobody can follow those perfectly. But are you in unrepentance, rebellion to one or more of them? Consider that God may use that curse, that unrest, that comes with disobedience to guide you back onto the path of blessed obedience. And now on the other hand, in Deuteronomy 28, we see all the blessings for Israel that accompany obedience. I'm going to sum it up with 28.11. It says that if the Israelites obey, the Lord will grant abundant prosperity. In the, fruit of your, in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, in the land that he swore to give your ancestors. So understanding that this kind of blessing comes with obedience, that's why the psalmist can say, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So the law isn't to rob us of full life. The law is there as guardrails to guide us into fullness of life. Now, the words of the psalmist, these aren't the words of a proud, holier-than-thou legalist. They're the words of a man who realized that God's laws truly are a lamp unto his feet and a light unto his path. Now, C.S. Lewis, he sums up the sweetness of following God's prescription for life better than I ever could. He uses kind of a collage here of psalm excerpts, and I'll quote that briefly. He says, the divine mind embodied in the divine law, it's beautiful. What should a man do but try to reproduce it as far as possible in his daily life? So his delights are in those statutes. To study them is like finding treasure. They affect him like music. They are his songs and they taste like honey. They are better than silver or gold. And as one's eyes are more and more opened, one sees more and more in them, and it excites wonder. This is not pride or priggery. It is the language of a man ravished by a moral beauty. If we cannot at all share in his experience, then we shall be the losers. End quote. So curses or blessings, sand or stone, that's the key question, the first key question in your sermon notes there. So what is your foundation of your life? What's it built on? So I hope you can see from the experience in your own life, from the state of the world in general, and now from God's word, that disobedience brings a curse. But even if we get to the point of admitting that, of saying that God's way is the right way, and God, I want to build my foundation on that sure foundation, we, we can't. There's, there's a strong argument from scripture to say that it's not possible to do that under our own power. We're sinful. And obedience to God doesn't come natural. We can't just choose it and do it. We've got a sinful nature that pulls us away from God and we need rescuing, even if we want more than anything else to put our life on that sure and strong foundation. So now the question, it becomes how? How can we be set free from the old way of life and walk in that blessed obedience that God is calling us to? So now that's going to bring us to 1 Peter chapter 1, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. 1 Peter chapter 1. It's a tiny little letter, a little bit hard to find. 
Maybe you want to start at the back in Revelation and work your way forward a few books. And as you're finding it, let me fill you in that we're going to cover a lot of ground here. Uh, there's no part two to the sermon, so I really want to complete the message today. And there's a lot to say just in the introduction that I'm just going to have to blow by and leave some text untouched, unfortunately. Um, so now in the introduction, we read the following. Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So we can see here that Peter is speaking to the elect exiles, the beginning of the church. They're called in the foreknowledge of God, set apart, sanctified, made holy by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 2, it tells us they were chosen for a purpose. It says for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling of his blood. Now, of course, it's not really hard to grasp the idea of the church being set apart for obedience to Jesus. But what is this about sprinkling of his blood? What on earth does that mean? So one of the principles of Bible interpretation, if you see something that confuses you, maybe some phrases or words that is just throwing you for a loop, look for those words elsewhere in that same book that you're reading. So we'll, we'll scroll forward a little bit and we see uh, the blood of Jesus make another appearance here in verse 18. Chapter 1, it says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways of life inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. So now we see Christ's blood here. It makes another appearance in the very same chapter. Now this is the same blood that is linked with obedience in verse 2. And in verse 9, we see what is redeeming us from. So this is the key to how we are to obey, we who have a natural bent towards disobedience. So he is ransoming us. You know, when, when, you, when you see a movie, somebody kidnaps someone, they demand a ransom. So that old way of life that we were born into, it's kidnapped us, and it demands a ransom. It demands a payment so that we can be free from its power. And that's exactly what Christ does. So he is ransoming us from the old way of life handed down from Adam. And he is now giving us a new life. He's freeing us from the old and he's buying a new life for us. So his payment to buy us back from that disobedience is his blood. So now we see that God just doesn't call us and tell us to obey. He also frees us from the old futile way of life. And now the power of disobedience over us is broken. And it's not by our own strength, but by the blood of Christ. And now we are free to obey. So now we talk often when we're saved about how we gain heaven, how we get to go to heaven because of Christ's sacrifice. And that's absolutely true. But what Christ also did for us was to free us from the old way of life. And he gives us new life now and the power to walk in that resurrection life. Of course, the old way of life, it's still tempting, it's still powerful, but greater is the power of, new, of Christ's new life living us now. Now, back in 1 Peter, in 1.14, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you shall be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Okay, the holiness of God. That's a tall order to fill, isn't it? 
But as we know now, God just doesn't say, you shall be holy for I am holy and leave us to sort it out himself. First, he frees us from the old way of life. Then he works through us in the word and through the Holy Spirit to change us into people who are able and willing to obey him. So now you do have a choice. And now that you're free, what are you going to set your foundation on? Obedience or rebellion? You can start again, and that is the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now we're going to move on to point three in your notes. Um, You're going to see that now we're free from the power of disobedience. We're unable to obey the truth. And now we're going to start to see some results. Something's going to change, some fruit of that transformation. And Peter goes on to say in verse 22, that having purified your souls by your obedience to truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So now out of that obedience that we have for Christ, something grows out of that, and it's love for one another. So note this well, brotherly love, that's the mark of of being enabled to obey the truth. This is a good test to see if we were actually walking in obedience to Christ. And it's a tough question to ask ourselves and a harder question even to, uh, to answer honestly. Are we sowing discord or are we working together for unity within the church? Now, Peter's going to circle back in that, circle back to that in a minute and so will we. But next, Peter, he begins to use an analogy of birth and growth for this new life of love. In verse 23, he says, Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So in verse 23, Peter reminds us we've been born again. Our first birth was of the flesh, which was born to die, because it says it was perishable. But this new birth, it lasts forever. Now in verse 24, the analogy goes a little bit further. We started with seeds, and now we progress into what grows out of that perishable seed, the result the produce that is eventually going to rot. Now, Peter says what the first birth has to offer is like withering grass. He says, all flesh is like grass for all its glory, like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. So that's why mankind can't hold it together. Even the most glorious civilizations we ever create, their glory fades and the flower falls because it was built from that perishable seed of the glory of man. But in contrast to that fading glory, in verse 25, we see that the word of the Lord remains forever. So this is the sure foundation of the church that is never going to dissolve. So now we find ourselves, we're all growing together from this imperishable seed, walking in obedience to the truth and resulting in the brotherly love that's poured out from a pure heart. And then Peter tells us what we should do to protect that unity. What to, do that, what to do to nourish that young, fragile seedling. And moving into chapter 2, Peter says, Put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So the malice, the deceit, the hypocrisy, the evil, the slander, that's poison to the new life. Peter says instead to long for the pure spiritual milk, which is the word of God. But then he gives a huge qualifier for all he has just said. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So that should give us pause. Are we really authentic believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
Have you been freed by his blood? Freed from the pull of the old life? Have you tasted the new life and said, yes, Lord, this is good. This is for me. Now, are you feeding yourself with the word of God, growing in love for the brothers and sisters, putting away discord and becoming a peacemaker? Have you tasted that the Lord is good? And is it evident in your life? I hope so. But Peter wouldn't have written this if it was true for everyone. And it's not true for everybody today. So if you haven't truly tasted that the Lord is good, you are not really part of the church. But you're invited though. That's the good news. So this is the new way of life. If you're freed by the blood of Christ, you are joined with the church. And then Peter goes on to say what joining the church actually looks like. Peter says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So now Peter, he switched analogies here. He's moved from seeds and flowers to stones and houses. Now as a church, we're all coming to Christ. We have diverse backgrounds, different lifestyles, different interests, different hobbies. So we're not a social club. We're not really united by anything other than the fact that we're all drawn to Christ. We're united with his body and we unite with one another. That is what it's like to be a living stone in a spiritual house. Now, when I imagine a spiritual house, I just have this image in my mind of these wonderful, glowing, decked out, bejeweled bricks, you know, just making this pile and constructing a wonderful church. But in a conversation this week, a friend reminded me that a lot of the ancient construction that was done, it wasn't built using uniform bricks. It was a haphazard pile of stones, all different shaped. And the master builder would put them all together to make something wonderful, something like you see on the screen behind us. So God is that master builder. He, he fits us all together, a collection of seemingly random stones, and he gives us a shape. He gives us gifts to be used in building up his church. So you may have heard the phrase unity without uniformity. I think the church is a perfect example of that. We all fit together like a wonderful jigsaw puzzle. We're all different, but together we display a wonderful picture, the picture of the living body of Christ that none of us could do apart from one another. So you might look at yourself and you might wonder, where do I fit in? I mean, I can relate to that too. I attended faith for about six years and never really got involved or plugged in. And I ended up leaving for a while. Now, in my case, I had to leave before I could realize that the problem, it was with me. It wasn't with the church. I was waiting to feel plugged in, but I never really made an effort to take my place in the building up of the living stones. So if you can relate to that, if you can see yourself in that, then let me tell you that if you never really get around to committing to a church, then there is going to be a U-sized hole in the church where your living stone should be. The church is diminished without you because God gave each of us spiritual gifts for the building up of his body. And you're going to be diminished as well because without the church, you can never truly fully be what God has called you to be as a living stone in the building up of his body. The church is messy. People are going to let you down. Pastors are going to let you down, especially this one. Uh, but the love and the unity that we have for one another as brothers and sisters and the love and the unity we have for Jesus, it sustains us. It keeps us together as we unite to build a church 
if indeed we have tasted that the Lord is good. Now next, Peter identifies us as a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And that's what the church is, and it is a wonderful and a blessed thing to be a part of. So now we talked previously about the success of our own individual spiritual house being built on the foundation of the rock, which is obedience. The same, of course, is true for the church. If we were to build the church on the foundation of the first birth, that withering grass and the fading flower, it would fail. But by the grace of God, we're given the best building materials available. We don't need to raid the discount bin at Home Depot. We've got the word of God, which remains forever. And as long as we continue to obey it, the sure foundation of the church is never, ever going to dissolve. And on top of that foundation is us, the beautiful living stones that exist to proclaim God's glory to a hurting world. So now in keeping uh, with, with Peter's analogy, the church is a building. We've got a photo behind me of the building named after Peter. Oh, I'm so glad the projector's still working. That thing was waterlogged. So this is St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Now, some of the old cathedrals, of course, they've been criticized for being extravagant, and sure, there's some truth to that. But also consider that the design of the building itself, it was intended to evoke worship, to just stagger you with a sense of God's awesomeness and his holiness. It was meant to draw the heart and mind upward toward God. Now, it's hard to get a grasp from the size of the picture, uh, but just for some perspective, that dome where you see the light pouring in, that could house the Statue of Liberty, including the pedestal. The scale is just incredible. But what's even more incredible is what you can't see in the picture. There's more stone underground in the foundation than there is above ground. So the point of a foundation is to support what's visible. Now remember, the foundation of the wise man's house was obedience to the word. It was the rock. The same is true for the church spiritual church. Without it, the church would crumble because the rock is the foundation of obedience. Now, like I said, churches like St. Peter's, they could be criticized for being extravagant, flashy, showy. But the truth is that while some of these churches were being constructed, some of the greatest artists that mankind has ever known, they created these masterpieces and they sealed up work within the walls of the church, never to be seen by human eyes. The best stuff they had to offer was for God's eyes only. So this is true with some of the work of building up God's kingdom here as well. So moms especially, you know, please listen to this. If you ever feel like you're just toiling away endlessly in love, building up your home, just pouring out your work and, and it's never seen or appreciated, sometimes you may even feel like it never even matters or was wasted. It's not true. It's just like the great artists that hid their work. God has reserved some of the most beautiful works of the church and in your home for his eyes only. You might feel invisible to the world sometimes, but you're not. You're not invisible to God. And what is done in obedience to what God has called you to, when you do that, your toil matters. Your work matters, your love matters, and it goes into building up the only building that is ever going to last into eternity. Maybe you feel like your work's never going to seem by others. Maybe your work seems wasted, taken away too soon. I know there's so many hurting moms out there just struggling. Maybe your work just seems marred. It's not coming out like the way you thought. 
Maybe you're even nearing the end of your own race and you wish you could have done more, but God uses it all, sometimes in ways that are unseen to us. Because everything that you've done, everything you will do when done according to God's purpose, he is going to use for his glory. That's what the church does. And when you take your place in it, accepting that it's his job, not ours, to work out how how all these misshapen stones uh, of our lives, how they work together to proclaim his glory, if you do that, you're going to have peace in doing what you're made to do. And most importantly, the cross is going to be lifted high in our dark and hurting world because that's what sits on the top of the spire at the highest point of the church. It's the cross. That's what's at the peak of our spiritual house. That's what we're working to lift up. So now as we get ready to pray today, as we get ready to close, I'm going to ask the worship team to make their way up. And I'd like to circle back to something I said earlier. I talked about the power of the blood of Jesus to rescue you from a hellbound life of disobedience, how the blood pays the price for your sins, freeing you to live the life that you were meant to live. Now, is God calling you to that life today? Now, whether you're watching here in this room or whether you're watching at home, if you're feeling compelled, if you're feeling God calling you to that new life, then the verse on the screen from 2 Corinthians applies to you. It says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So considering that, let's pray together. God, Heavenly Father, dear Lord Jesus, God, thank you for the blood of your Son, the blood that sets us free in so many ways. God, we have freedom from death and freedom to truly live. So, Father God, if there's anybody within the sound of my voice that has a divine appointment with you today, God, I ask that you would move here and pour out your faith upon it for those that need to receive your salvation. Now, if anybody feels that, if anybody feels compelled by God, then pray these following words along with me in your heart. So, God, I admit that I am a sinner. I know that I can't leave my sin behind, Lord, and I need your cleansing forgiveness. God, I ask you to show me mercy. Please forgive me through Christ's blood shed on, me, shed on my behalf, Lord. God, set me free. Lord, I receive your forgiveness in faith, and I embrace the Lord Jesus as the only one who can save. God, today awake with us to wake us anew, to taste the sweet blessing of obedience and draw us to truly take our place as living stones in the church. On the sure foundation of the rock of obedience to you, joined together in the love we share for one another and the love we share for you, our great and glorious Savior. Amen.